Well, good morning. Why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. While you're doing that, I'm going to pray, and I'd love for you to be able to pray along with me, for me. Lord, thank you for our time that we've been able to share this morning together already as we've reflected on your goodness to us, we've reflected on your victory for us. Lord, we've been reminded that there is very real griefs in this world. There's loss and there's pain that it's hard to bear. And yet you have also renewed our vision of a Jesus who draws beside the brokenhearted and who we find a victory in that we can't find in ourselves. And so as we look to your word this morning, Lord, again, speak to us, be gracious towards us. Help me to speak clearly, help all of us to hear clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to do, uh, give you the big idea um, of this morning, and then we'll go to the scriptures and read it, and I'm going to spend just a bit of time showing you, I hope, how we've come to that conclusion. So here's my big idea. The gospel forms a people who are in it for the long haul, realising that the joys and sorrows of today don't dictate the reality of who we are in Christ, we keep going. All right, That's the, the big idea. The gospel forms the people who are in it for the long haul, realising that the joys and sorrows of today don't dictate the reality of who we are in Christ, we keep going. Now, they're my words. They don't really matter. These are the words that matter. So grab your Bibles turn to Romans chapter 12. We're just going to read one verse, verse 12. Romans 12, verse 12. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible, and it says this. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Three phrases. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be persistent in prayer. Now, there are three subjects in that verse, and there are three actions in that verse. Here are the subjects. Hope, affliction, and prayer. Can you see them in the text? Hope, affliction, and prayer. Then there are three actions. Rejoice, be patient, be persistent. All right? But how do this how do these fit within the chapter? Because I mean on its own, we're just going to look at that one verse today. On its own, we just have three commands, really. An action attached to a subject. So when we think about this particular subject, when we think about hope, think about rejoicing. When we think about affliction, think about patience. When we think about prayer, we think about persistence. But there are just three sort of commands in there. 
but how do they fit with the theme of the chapter? So rather than break down these three phrases bit by bit, you know, defining the terms and exploring the implications of them, which is what we've been doing together really for the last few weeks, I want to simply take those three phrases and take them as a whole and explore how we should be encouraged to take up our cross. I get, you you may have just limped in through the doors this morning. Maybe literally, but maybe emotionally, maybe physically, maybe spiritually. You, You maybe feel this morning that you only just dragged your way through these doors. Or maybe you're at home this morning watching this. And you feel like you've, you've only just somehow mustered up enough strength to even just turn on that live feed and sit and listen and engage from at home even. This morning, I, I'm hoping that these verses, this verse, this, these three phrases might lift your heart and lift your eyes to see Jesus to take up your cross and to carry it forward again. I think if we could summarise the general theme of this verse, I think that you would be able to see, even as we've read it together, that the, the general tone of the verse, the, the general tone of those three phrases as you put them together, is one of joyful endurance in the face of hardship. A joyful endurance in the face of hardship. So that's my mission today. That's what I would like to do. That's what I've been praying about for you and for me. That we would see Jesus this morning. And in particular, that we would see his hope and his affliction and his prayer in order that we might also see his joy and his patience and his persistence and in so doing you might be encouraged that I might be encouraged to carry on and the reason why I want you to look to Jesus this morning to understand what these three phrases really are saying to us is because all of these commands, all the commands that we've been reading about in Romans chapter 12, there's been a whole heap of them so far, they're not not taken in isolation. They're not just sort of like, oh, here's a list of things that we need to do if we're a good Christian. All of them spring from what God has done for us in Christ. They spring from the gospel. So I would like you to stay in this chapter, but I want you to go back and refresh your memory about where this chapter began. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. This set the foundation for where this whole chapter's been going. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, and I've highlighted them on the screen for you. I'd like you to highlight them in your Bibles if you, if you can. In view... Of God's mercy, right? In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So a life of worship is actually a response to what God has done for us in the gospel. And it involves a laying down of our life as living sacrifices. People who live by daily dying. That's what worship is about. And it springs out of what God has done. So when we talk about rejoicing in hope, and when we talk about being patient in affliction, and being persistent in prayer, they're not isolated commands. They're responses to what God has done for us in Christ. We don't rejoice in hope this morning, or we don't be patient in affliction this morning, and we certainly don't be persistent in prayer this morning to gain a good standing with God. It's not like this morning I'm, I'm going to ask you to say, you know what, you need to be a, a rejo- a more rejoicing people, and you need to be more patient And more persistent in your prayer life. And then God will somehow look at you and smile at you in some way. It's not to gain a good standing with God. But it's because we already have a good standing with God in Christ. He has done something for us that we could not do ourselves. And as a response to what Jesus has done... This is a way that we can persevere. It's only because of the gospel that we can persevere. And yet often when we speak about suffering, and we're going to talk about that this morning. When we speak about suffering, an interesting thing occurs. Among any group of Christians, the crowd will split often when we talk about suffering. And it will begin running to either end of a spectrum. So let's just talk about spectrums for a moment. Because I think we have a spectrum disorder for suffering. Most of us will be familiar with the term spectrum. In particular, most of us will be familiar with the term when it is used to identify a number of different types of spectrum disorders that we experience in this world. But what's helpful to realise, though, is that it isn't the spectrum which is the disorder. In fact... My observations are, I'd say we're all living on the spectrum somewhere. A spectrum simply identifies a range. Or visually, we might describe it as being the line that runs between A and Z. Along which are almost countless variations and iterations of outcomes... And when we talk about spectrum disorders, we're referring to a number of maybe psychological or physiological conditions that may be expressed in unique ways for each individual. But for our purposes this morning, it might be helpful to describe how we often respond to the idea of suffering with a disordered reaction and we will all fall onto a spectrum Somewhere. At one end of that spectrum are those that hold the view that suffering in any shape or form is inconsistent with the Christian life. Or maybe that it's an indication of insufficient faith. 
And while at the other end of that spectrum are those Christians that are obsessed with suffering and promote the idea that the closer you are to Jesus, the more you should suffer. In fact, that suffering is a desired state to be in to prove your genuine identity as a disciple. I want to show you this morning, especially in light of the text that we have before us today, that neither of those reactions to suffering are consistent with the gospel. And are in fact a spectrum disorder of suffering. And then I want to show you the invitation of Jesus to strengthen your weary limbs in light and in spite of the affliction that you're experiencing and joyfully and prayerfully keep following him. So here's that first disorder where we might reject Suffering. This is the disorder that says that suffering in any shape or form is inconsistent with the Christian life. Or is an indication maybe of insufficient faith. This, this view is particularly popular amongst the word of faith preachers. And within those who hold to what's often called the prosperity doctrine. That God will bless his faithful children. So the more blessed you are, the more that that is an indication of God's favour on you. Thousands of Christians around the globe have been deceived by that despicable doctrine. And those who preach it. Look, as a church leadership... We have deliberately made the stance that we want this pulpit to be a place where we primarily proclaim what we are for and not what we are against. But this topic is a topic that we will vehemently and clearly say that the prosperity doctrine is a dangerous and damaging doctrine. Countless Christians have been misled and shipwrecked in their faith over this position. We must stand on guard against it. We could preach dozens of sermons easily on how our stance against this doctrine reflects the Bible's position on it. But let me just make a few observations today. First one's this. Suffering can advance the gospel. So when you look at the book of Philippians chapter 1, and we were preaching through this book not that long ago, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, it says this. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Now what had happened to Paul? Paul had been beaten, Paul had been persecuted, Paul had been thrown in jail simply because he was a Christian, simply because he preached the name of Jesus. And now he's saying to his friends at church in Philippi, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, suffering, has actually advanced the gospel. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Listen, our suffering can, not always, but it can advance the cause of the gospel. Second thing I want you to know about our suffering. Suffering can grow our faith. The same book, Philippians chapter 3, though, verses 7 through 10 say this. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul had in mind that suffering was not inconsistent with the gospel, but could in fact be used to shape our lives and to help us grow in our faith. All this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, reading from verse 16. Paul says to the church in Corinth, Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For, we've heard this text this morning already, our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Did you see what it was that was producing an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory? This momentary and light affliction. Sometimes God deems it necessary to use suffering in our life to produce something that couldn't be produced otherwise. That suffering can shape and grow our faith. But that's at one end of the spectrum, right? Those, that people, those people that might say, uh, suffering shouldn't be any part of our life. We don't want any part of our life. It actually means that maybe, maybe we have a, a weak faith of some sort. No, no, God can use suffering. But here's the other disorder. Those that pursue suffering, those that might say, well, if God God is going to use suffering to make me more like Jesus, then I want all the suffering. In fact, you're a good Christian if you're suffering. If you're not suffering, there must be something wrong. I've heard people say that. We might run away from one end of the spectrum, but we might end up falling off the other. This is where you find Christians who are obsessed 
with suffering and promote the idea that the closer you are to Jesus, the more you should suffer. That in fact, suffering is a desirable state to be in, to prove your genuine identity as a disciple. This, This opinion, this view is quite popular amongst sort of the ultra-conservative or fundamental arms of the church often, where there's an unhealthy view on a big word here, but you'll find it in the Bible called ascetism. Ascetism means an embracing of a severe discipline to the body, whether that's self-inflicted or accepted from outside of ourselves, as a way of type of proving your righteousness, proving your strength as a Christian or proving that you are able somehow to walk this Christian life because I can withstand all these sufferings. This too is a dangerous and wicked doctrine. Consider these instructions from Paul. Colossians chapter 2 verse 18. Paul says, let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices. That's what we're talking about. And the worship of angels, claiming access to visionary realms. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual minds. If if you embrace suffering as a way of trying to prove your righteousness, I want to suffer more so that I can show how righteous that I am. Paul says, you have an inflated and empty notion and an unspiritual mind. Or Colossians chapter 2, same chapter down in verse 23, says all this, although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion false humility and severe treatment of the body, they are, aren't of any value. They are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Paul says that the idea of pursuing suffering to somehow make you a better Christian is an empty notion that overinflates unspiritual minds. And even if you do pursue it, it doesn't work. It has no value, Paul says, in curbing your self-indulgence. And maybe you're a person who likes the red letters in the Bible, mostly. So let's have a look and consider the example of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says this, For the joy that lay before him, he, Jesus, it's talking about, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to look carefully at those verses and see what it says. Look carefully where the joy lay. And look carefully at what required enduring. You see, Jesus stood in a dark garden and two things lay ahead of him. One was the cross and one was joy. To get to the joy, Jesus had to go through the cross. That's what that verse says. 
There wasn't another way. In fact, when Jesus said to the Father, Father, let this cup pass from me, he was saying, if there's another way, if there's another way, then I will do that way. But whatever your will is, that's what I will do, right? Because for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy wasn't the cross. It wasn't enjoyable. It's not like Jesus said, oh, bring this cross on. This is really going to prove something. No, he endured the cross to gain the joy. It was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. The suffering wasn't the joy. The joy lay beyond it. A future joy empowered the present endurance. And it's the same for us. There is a future joy. And by it we can endure the present suffering. And so here's my exhortation for you. Dear friend, keep going. Just keep going. What does all of that have to do with Romans 12 and 12? That's where we started. Romans 12 and 12. The verse that we're looking at in this chapter today gives us an insight into how to guard against the disordered responses that we can have to the idea of hardship in our life. This verse, Romans 12 and 12, is a window into a healthy approach to Christian suffering. So I want you to read it again. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. And look at those phrases in light of what we've been talking about. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Here's what we need to hear this morning and grasp. When suffering comes, and it will... We've been reminded, Kim already made it beautifully and painfully clear for us this morning. In this world, we will, Jesus said, have trouble. When suffering comes, and it will, we don't have a somber hope, right? You know what somber means? means dark or toneless. We don't have a somber hope. We don't have a drag your feet through the day type of hope. What do we have? Peter says we have a living hope. So we rejoice in our hope. We rejoice in it. We don't necessarily rejoice in our suffering. But we definitely rejoice in our hope. Because our hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Because he endured his suffering to gain joy. And he says, be found in me. He's our hope. 
And so we too can endure the suffering in front of us as we look to the hope that we have that is alive and well and victorious. So when suffering comes, and it will, we look to a living hope and we rejoice in it. When suffering comes, and it will, we don't have a curl up in a ball and give up response, as Christians, Paul says. I know we want to sometimes, right? Have you had those days? The day that stretches in front of you, you don't know all the details of it, but the journey that's led you to that day makes you just want to curl up, find a quiet place under a blanket somewhere, or to numb your pain with something else. We have those sorts of days. But Paul says we can be patient in our affliction. And we can take another step knowing that God has written the end of the story. And the end of the story in Christ isn't defeat. It isn't loss. It isn't pain and it isn't sorrow and it isn't shame. It is right to grieve what we've lost. It is. It's okay. It's okay to grieve what we've lost. And it's even okay to grieve what we have never gained in this life. But we don't lose heart. There's a a guy who pastored a church for a long time. He's now retired as a pastor but continues to preach and write books and he's been an influence in my life. John Piper said these words, occasionally weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. Grieve the losses, feel the pain, then wash your face, trust God and embrace the life that he's given you. When suffering comes, and it will, we do not despair and we don't turn inwards, becoming self-absorbed in our suffering. Instead, this verse in Romans 12 and 12 says, no, we persist in prayer. We lift our eyes and open up our mouths and we cry out to God. We persist in prayer. We look to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I read from it already, part of it. But here's what the whole passage says. Therefore, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, 
despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you remember what our big idea was for today? The gospel forms a people who are in it for the long haul. Realising that the joys and sorrows of today don't dictate the reality of who we are in Christ. We keep going. So that's my exhortation for you this morning and the one that I needed to hear myself this morning. Dear friend, keep going. Jesus is calling you to himself. He can wipe your tears. He can strengthen. If we had the time to continue reading in Hebrews 12, it talks about strengthening our weak legs. And he can bring joy again to the places of loss and sorrow that you feel can never live again. And he's saying, keep your eyes fixed on me and take up your cross again and take the next step and follow me. So we rejoice in our hope. We don't lose heart. Because Jesus is our living hope. We are patient in affliction because we know that affliction isn't the whole story. That Jesus has endured the cross to gain the joy and he's calling us to follow him into that as well. So we can be patient in this momentary affliction even though it feels so far from being momentary. And we can be persistent in prayer. Persistence means that as we cry out to Jesus, we know that we might not hear the answer that we desire or long for today, but tomorrow I will cry out again. And the day after that, I will cry out again and I will keep going to my Father. I won't go to myself. I won't go to all the other things that I think will answer that prayer for me. I will just keep going to Him. Lord, Lord, please, Father. We rejoice in hope. We are patient in affliction. We are persistent in prayer. Not because it makes us better, but because Jesus has already done what is required, what we need the most. And so we respond to that good news of grace that we find in the gospel. And we rejoice, and we be patient, and we be persistent. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your time with us as we've been in your word. Lord, in particular, I feel burdened for those that are feeling as though they can't take another step. They're weary. They are grieving. They have sorrow that maybe nobody else understands the depth of. 
Lord, by your Holy Spirit, this morning, will you take these few words, this single verse, these three phrases, and will you minister to our hearts, Lord? Will you draw close to the wounded and the brokenhearted, those who are weary? And will you strengthen us, Lord, we pray? Help us to find joy. Help us to endure. Help us to be patient as we pray, as we look to you the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.